It's time for CBJ in 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, YouTube, and TuneIn. The easiest thing to do is tell Alexa or Siri to play CBJ in 30. Here's your host, Bob McGilligan. Welcome to another CBJ in 30 presented by Telhio Credit Union. What a week it has been. What a week it is going to be. Weekend it's going to be for the Blue Jackets as they close out their season with back-to-back games against the Detroit Red Wings. Tell you more about that in a minute. Right after I tell you about my good friends at Telhio Credit Union. Back in 1934 is when the folks at Telhio Credit Union said, you know what? We're going to put people ahead of profit. Our customers are the most important thing that we have, and we're going to treat them as such. And that attitude has stayed the same right through today. So if you're not part of a credit union, if you don't know why you should be part of a credit union, at Telhio Credit Union, they'll be able to tell you exactly why. They'll be able to tell you what services they offer, what perks go along with those services, and to find out all about it, it's as easy as going to their website at telhio.org. If you're there during regular business hours, can't find the answer to a question, there's a live chat feature on the right-hand side of the screen. Click on that and somebody will pop on to help you to find the answer to what questions you have. It's as simple as that. The only question you're going to have left when it's all said and done is why stay with a regular bank when you can be with a credit union that puts you above all else. Telhio Credit Union. Find them on the web at telhio.org. Well, the Blue Jackets got a win in their last game. That, of course, was on Wednesday night against the Nashville Predators. Finished off the season series with Nashville by getting a win. And now the Blue Jackets have only two games remaining on the schedule. The first of those is going to be tonight. The next one tomorrow night, both against the Detroit Red Wings. So the Blue Jackets looking to finish off the season strong. They want to finish off on the right note. And there's some players that are really moving in that direction. Elvis Merzlikens is one of them. He gets another win in the game against the Predators the other night. Uh, Also, Mikhail Grigorenko scored a big goal. It broke a 2-2 tie. And Oliver Bjorkstrand had a pair of goals for the Blue Jackets. And I also shouldn't forget about Jack Roslovic. Not at all, because Roslovic had a big goal uh, for him. It was the 100th point of his NHL career. So there are players that are looking to finish the season the right way. They want to leave the management with some very positive thoughts about them as we go into the off season. So a big one tonight and a big one tomorrow. And then the blue jackets will get into the next phase of what they're going to be as a franchise, as it will officially be the off season starting on Sunday. A lot of big happenings in the National Hockey League this week. Uh, Let me see. What are some things that I can tell you about? Oh, uh, last night, Jeff Carter had four goals for the Pittsburgh Penguins. You don't want to hear about that at all, do you? No, I'm sure you don't. Uh, The big story this week, to be honest with you, uh, and you know this. If you follow the game, you already know this. The big story this week is what happened between the New York Rangers and the Washington Capitals. And this goes back to Tuesday night when the – or Tuesday night, was it uh, Monday night? Monday night. When the Capitals and the Rangers played against each other at the end of a play, there was a puck that was frozen in the crease. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich wound up down on the ice. Tom Wilson, a guy that uh, everybody loves to hate. Not everybody, but, you know, he's he's a guy that hasn't made a lot of friends in the fan bases of teams other than the Washington Capitals around the National Hockey League. Let's be honest about that. Tom Wilson uh, is hitting uh, Buchnevich. In the head, 
after the play is stopped while he's on the ice uh, that draws the ire of the New York Rangers and more specifically former Blue Jacket Artemi Panarin. Panarin winds up jumping on the back of Tom Wilson. Uh, then when they get up, Panarin has lost his helmet. Uh, Tom Wilson basically body slams him to the ice. Fortunately, he didn't drive him into the ice head first. Uh, that's very, very fortunate. And that ensued and a lot of things going on there. But anyway, when it was all said and done, the optics of it, seemed to say that Tom Wilson was once again going to get another suspension from the National Hockey League. He did not get a suspension. He got a $5,000 fine that came down the next day. And then that sent a lot of other people into madness of their own, that there was no suspension, that this could go on and there would be very little, if any, repercussions for that kind of action and activity. But what it also set up was a rematch between the two teams and that took place on Wednesday night and that game basically started out with a line brawl right off the faceoff, and you knew it was going to happen it's old-time hockey it's the way that teams try to take care of things and police things themselves so that's the way it started in the end the Washington Capitals won the game turned out to be a a really good storyline game for TJ Oshie, his father just passing away. The first game that he plays after his dad passes away, he winds up with a hat trick. So there were, you know, there were good things that came out of it. But as I said, a lot of fights, a lot of things that went on. As a matter of fact, um, Pavel Buchnevich wound up getting a, a penalty because he cross-checked Anthony Mantha in the face and so he winds up ironically he winds up getting a suspension although he has an injury that'll keep him from playing in the remaining games so it really doesn't matter anyway but again I know it drives a lot of people crazy because Buchnevich got a suspension whereas Tom Wilson got nothing but a fine now that's only the tip of the iceberg of the story because the other thing that happened to go along with this is the New York Rangers issued a statement, not only saying that they felt it was unfair that Tom Wilson didn't get suspended and only got fined, but also saying that George Paros, who's in charge of the NHL's safety, saying that by him not suspending Tom Wilson, essentially the Paros should be fired from his job. He didn't do his job right, therefore he should be fired. That is essentially, that's, that's, putting in layman's terms what the release said. And then it got even weirder. It got weirder because then the Rangers, the owner there, uh, fired John Davidson, who we know so well here. He was a team president. He left here two years ago to go back to the Rangers and be their team president. And Jeff Gorton, who is the general manager, was the general manager of the New York Rangers. And then it comes out that none of this has to do with the fact that there were reports that neither Davidson nor Gordon were really in support of this release that went out by the New York Rangers saying that they didn't, that they didn't like the decision and they think that George Paros should be fired. So they say it has nothing to do with it. There are reports that uh, 
these decisions to make changes were already in the works prior to any of this Tom Wilson incident happening. True or false? I don't know. I really can't tell you. Uh, it looks very suspicious, does it not? You got your team president, your general manager basically saying to everybody, hey, and not to everybody, but supposedly saying it behind the scenes, hey, it's not us. The ownership, that's that's where this is coming from. So, you know, whether that's true or not, it still happened. They got fired. Chris Drury takes over as both the president and the general manager. Glenn Sather, who had been the team president, is going to be the go-between between ownership and Drury and is going to be there to help them out. So Glenn Sather is back in the picture in New York with the Rangers. So that's it's a long story, right? Oh, but it's not over yet. Then yesterday, the National Hockey League fined the New York Rangers $250,000 for putting out the release. Now, is it at an end? I would think so. I would think it comes to an end with all of that. So Artemi Panarin got hurt in his uh, fight with, or his tie-up with Tom Wilson. He's injured, won't play final couple of games. Bucinavich is not going to play the final couple of games. The Rangers weren't going to the playoffs anyway. The Washington Capitals are, and they're getting ready for that. You know, there were also some reports in reading uh, the stories out of New York saying that what the, the Rangers owner was really unhappy with was that the Rangers didn't have anybody to stand up, not just to Tom Wilson, but as the line went, they had a lot of skill and not much will, meaning physical grinding players that could step up in a situation and be physical. Maybe it's not fighting Tom Wilson, but maybe it is taking on one of the other Washington Capitals just to say, look, if you're going to go after our stars, we're going to go after yours. So that So he was unhappy with that. Again, that's what some of the reports say. But it, what a strange situation. It, it went down, again, basically all week this stuff has been going on. So as things were developing over the course of the week, I was thinking to myself, who could I talk to? Who could I talk to that uh, would be able to speak on this matter? Who fought in the National Hockey League? Who uh, has been in those situations? Who has maybe had to dial himself back and not go after another player at times, or maybe who did go after another player at times, uh, even if he shouldn't have. So I was thinking about who could I get? Who do I know that I could get? Who do I know? And I know a couple of people. And I'll bet you the person you think I got is not the person I actually got. It is not Jody Shelley. Let me just take all the mystery away. It's not Jody Shelley. But while I was thinking about this and who I could get to talk about it, then I thought about another thing that I've done several times on this show throughout the course of the year. I wanted to do it more. It didn't work out for numerous reasons. And the team struggling had to do with part of that. And uh, But anyway, that doesn't matter. I, I told you way back at the beginning, and again, I've done it a couple of times, that I wanted to interview players that played. It's the 20th anniversary season, right? I wanted to interview players that played under 20 games for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So they might be players that were uh, maybe you forgot that they played here because they had a very brief career. Maybe they were here and they went somewhere else. And that is the category that I have for you today. A player that played his first 13 games with the Blue Jackets. He went on to play 154 total 
in the National Hockey League. And he was deemed a tough guy, although that wasn't what he thought that he might be when he came to the NHL. But we'll talk about his story, and I will get his opinion on what went on this week in the National Hockey League with the Tom Wilson, the Capitals, the Rangers situation, all of that. Would you please welcome in former Blue Jacket, Tom Sestito. Well, Tom, you started your NHL career with the Columbus Blue Jackets. 13 of the games that you played in the NHL, 13 out of 154, were right here in Columbus. And as I said, this is where it all started out. So what do you remember about that first call-up, the year that you came up and you had one game in the NHL? I remember that very good. It was, uh, we played St. Louis. I think they played St. Louis the night before, and it was a little bit of a gong show. I got called at, I don't know, 6 o'clock that night or 7 o'clock. I flew out of Syracuse the next morning. Coming down to the rink, there was no pregame skate because it was an afternoon game. I rode down the elevator with Cam Jansen. He was on St. Louis. He's like, oh, they brought you in. We're fighting tonight. And I ended up fighting DJ King. And I remember my face was uh, hurting a little bit after that. But, you know, that's how I got my foot in the door. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and it was a start to a long career. As I said, that game was one game. Uh, I talk about this all the time, and because I spent 10 years in the American Hockey League, I see guys that go up and down, and and it's really about the mindset when you get back down there, right? Uh, there's that disappointment. You play the one game, you come back, you wonder when or if you're ever going to get back there. But I think in your case, um, you didn't really have a lot of time to, to think about where you were and how you were going to get to where you were going, because that very next year in Syracuse, you were with a group of players that, um, well, let's just say it was a little bit different. And Zen and Kanopka made sure that you did what you needed to do, which eventually got you back to the National Hockey League. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I think it all started warm-ups. We had me, Doris, Morassi, and he made us watch the red line. Every warm-ups, make sure nobody gets over that line. And we were a tough team to play against. He made sure that, you know, I knew what my role was. You know, I always, I never wanted to be a fighter. I wanted to be a goal scorer, but it was just, that was the role I got put into, you know, right off the hop. Um, you know, Zenon was a, you know, he's a different, different animal, different breed, but, you know, he helped me get to where I needed to be. And, you know, I was always respectful to him. And, uh, you know, I always said thank you because he definitely, he put me in the right spots. Yeah, you mentioned Zenon Kanopka. He was the captain of that team in Syracuse at the time. Uh, Derek Dorsett, who, of course, uh, played a lot for the Blue Jackets in his NHL career. John Morasti, who was, uh, well, he's still a legend in the American Hockey League. And you, uh, I used to, I re used to really enjoy watching you four guys. Uh, it was the only year that I cared about watching warm-up at all because, uh, you know, a lot of times we watch warm-ups to see who's playing with who on what line and all that stuff. But when, when I watched you guys, I had to watch to see if there was going to be a fight before the game even started or not. And it really kind of, uh, as the year went on, it became a bigger thing. It wasn't like that at the very beginning. How did all of that morph into that policing the red line, uh, talking smack. And eventually you did get into a pregame fight with Jay Harrison uh, one time before you played the Toronto Marlies. I think it just, it started growing, growing on us. And we just took pride in it. Um, you know, we were always a tough team to play against. And I think we were trying to bully teams right off the hop. You know, if we could get in their heads right, you know, in warmups, we thought we could have an easy game or something like that. Um, but we just took it. John or um, Zenon was like, nobody crosses the red line. And if they do, you got to slash them. And that's, we just took that to heart and, you know, we rolled with it and we had a couple, I remember one game in Grand Rapids, we were taking slap shots at each other at the end of warmups. I mean, it was, it was like a slap shot. We were living the movie. 
The other thing I remember about warmups with you guys is, you know, right at the end, uh, whichever goalie is going to be the backup that night is in the net and you're doing that little battle where everybody crowds around the crease and he's supposed to be stopping pucks and you're just banging away at pucks until somebody puts it in. Those were the most violent little games. Like, I, I don't even know if the backup could have gone into the game some nights by the way you guys were whacking that guy with sticks and hitting each other with sticks. Yeah, it was um... – I mean, we did that in Vancouver too. I think most teams do it, but Vancouver is like touch pass, touch pass. In Syracuse, it was legit. You had bruises on the back of your knees and guys were just trying to get the goals. The backup goalie, like they didn't want to be in there at all, but, you know, Senate made them. So it, it, they had no choice. <laughs> what, what did you think at that time, being a guy that had just come out of playing junior hockey in Plymouth and, you know, here you are, uh, you know, two years into the American Hockey League, a game in the National Hockey League, and all of a sudden, all this stuff's going on around you and you're being drawn right into it as a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, I think coming out of my last year juniors, you know, I scored 43 goals. You know, I can always remember that because that was the last time I scored that many. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be a goal scorer. Um, I grew, I was big. Zenon wanted us to be a, you know, tough team as much as, I don't know if Ross Yates wanted us to be like that, but you know, we just kind of grew into it. We were winning and it was fun to play, especially when you had teammates, you know, that bought into it and everyone had each other's backs um you know I think uh Derek McKenzie when he was on the line with me and Doris one night I don't think he was too happy of it I think he, he had to fight uh Rick Ripien and I think his nose was on the other side of his face so he wasn't uh but you know what he dropped his gloves and he was he bought into it too so it was just um it was a fun team thing and you know it's it's always more fun playing um the goal scorer role but you know we had a we had a hell of a time doing that yeah, there were a couple of guys that really didn't fit the mold when you looked at it. And Derek McKenzie was one of them. I mean, he he was an older guy. He had played with the Chicago Wolves and, you know, maybe felt that he should have been past that point in his career. But as you said, he got right with it. Derek Broussard was another guy. He was a first-round pick that's just trying to, you know, get his feet underneath him in professional hockey. But, um, you know, to an extent, not the same way you guys did, but he was in on it too. Yeah, he was. I mean, I remember his first, it was me, Bowler, and Broussard up at Traverse City, and we were aligned, and he looks at me and Bowler, he's like, just get me the puck, kid. I'm like, okay, we'll get you the puck, and I think me and Bowler had about eight fights up there, and he loved every second of it. Broussard just loved it, and then me and Bowler never got to go back to Traverse City. I think Bowler might have went the year before, but that was the last time they brought us to Traverse City. Were you ever disappointed that Jared Bull didn't play in Syracuse? I know the fans here in Columbus oh. aren't disappointed about that, but you and I were there at the time, and, man, what an addition that would have been. I mean, he would have fit right in. He would have fit right in. I don't know if we all could have played. There would have been enough enough space for us all. So uh, maybe I'm happy I got more playing time with him not being there. Did you make any money that year, or did most of your money go in fines? Fines, yeah. I think they were supposed to make these nasty boy shirts to pay for our fines. I think Howard just took it. <laughs> Yeah, Howard Dor uh, Howard Dolgan, the owner there. He did have he did have the t-shirts. I saw the t-shirts displayed. I still have one. Yeah. <laughs> I still have one. I got one upstairs. You don't have the money to pay the fines. No, no I, I and I think I had to pay for the shirt too. Yeah. I, I was gonna one. say, like all this in a free t-shirt, not even a free t-shirt. No, not a free t-shirt. <laughs> all right. So after that year, and, and you know, that was a magical year because at the end of the season, uh, you guys won 15 games in a row. And you went from being out of the playoffs to being to having home ice advantage in the very first round of the playoffs. It was funny because um, you played against the Manitoba Moose. 
and beat them in that first round series. And what was it all but one game went to overtime. It was, it was really a tight series. Scott Arneal was the head coach of that team. And, you know, I didn't realize when Scott Arneal then came here to be the head coach of the blue jackets, I didn't realize how bitter he still was about that entire experience. Like uh, the one year uh, this team needed to win a whole bunch of games at the end. And I, I kind of just said to him, you know, being a smart aleck, but I said, I go, Hey Scott, you got like 10 guys in that room that uh, you know, they've had a 15 game winning streak in their career. Right. I had no idea the reaction. <laughs> he was not, it was not a favorable reaction, Tommy. Let me just yeah, tell you. I understand. I, I remember that game. I remember that series. Like it was yesterday. It was, and I remember coming back to Syracuse and the fans back in Syracuse. It was like, it was unbelievable that they were outside. They were cheering us on. It was a great series. It was a hard fought series. And, uh, we always had a good battle with Manitoba, so it was fun to win that series. And I know we always used to give uh, Scott shit for that. <laughs> it was it was funny too because it, thinking about the roster back there uh, at that time, by the time you got to the end, Mark Mathot was playing on the blue line. Doobie Westcott was on the blue line there. Um, uh, who else was playing? Mark Rippon was one of the the forwards. Every time I see this guy on TV when we play against the Colorado Avalanche, all I think about is the the ugly mohawk that he had for the playoffs. <laughs> I remember that. And he was the first one that he didn't care. He's like, I'll, I'll do the Mohawk. I don't care. <laughs> well, uh, that year really did kind of set you up. And even though with the Blue Jackets, you know, it was it was sporadic and you only had the 13 games. Eventually, the Blue Jackets traded you to the Philadelphia Flyers. And, and that's re- where it really kind of came together for you, isn't it? Yeah, I, um, you know, it's always bittersweet to get traded. I never got traded in juniors. Um that was a tough time uh, getting traded. You don't know anybody. You, you just go and you just, you know, hope it works out. I went to uh, Glens Falls right off the hop and they, I think they lost like their first like 30 games or something. They had a crazy bad record. I was like, we're going there. They're bag skating at the end of practice every day. It was just miserable. And then when I got up to Philadelphia, that's when it, um, that's when it all changed. It kind of all came together. And there was a guy there that was really in your corner when you were with the Philadelphia Flyers and, uh, that is Jody Shelley, who you know yeah. very well now after being a teammate, right? Yeah, Jody was, um, you know, I had him I, when I got to Columbus, he was there. And I, I watched Jody when he was in Syracuse. Um, then I got to uh, Philadelphia, he took me right under his wing. Uh, we had Lavi there as a coach. I don't know if Lavi really liked the, the fighting so much. So me and him were, we were healthy scratch a lot, but we were practicing D, we were partners. It was, uh, we, had a, we had a good time together. Well, Peter Laviolette doesn't like fighting as a coach, and he didn't like uh, the game his team played against the Rangers <laughs> because because there was plenty of that in there. You know, you said about watching Jody play in Syracuse, and yeah, it's it's worth mentioning, and I and I didn't yet, so I will now. You came from the uh, Rome, New York area, Utica, Rome, New York, which is only about uh, forty miles to the east of Syracuse. So uh, when right. Jody was playing with the Crunch, that's certainly not out of the possibility. That's kind of the hometown team, right? Yeah, that was the hometown team. Utica, obviously the Comets weren't here. I mean, the Utica Devils were here prior, but they weren't uh, here at that point. So we would always, I was playing out in Syracuse, uh, minor hockey then. And so we'd always go to a few games. Your brother played minor hockey in Syracuse as well, and then went on to play in the National Hockey League. He didn't turn out to be as well-traveled as you. I mean, he was in the Edmonton organization and then with the Devils for a long, long time. You know, growing up with a, a brother that was just a little bit older and was going through the same things, how much did that help you on your path? Oh, it definitely helped me a lot. I don't think I would have gotten there um, without him. He kind of paved the way. I was a late bloomer. I grew a lot um, before juniors. He was in Plymouth. So 
Um, I actually went out to Plymouth and watched them, and then I skated with the team before I was drafted, and uh, I think that's how I got drafted there. Um, got to play with them one year, kind of showed me how to be a pro, and um, went from there. Well, after you were in Philadelphia in the National Hockey League, uh, the next stop for you was in Vancouver with the Canucks. And while you were in Vancouver, uh, I know you had a coach that appreciated your skill set and put you in a good spot to utilize that skill set. And I'm talking about John Tortorella when he was there. He was only there for a year, but how much was that year uh, or how good was that year for you having him as a coach? That, I mean, that was my favorite year in the NHL by far. Um, you know, I played 77 games that year. I missed a couple because of suspensions. Um, he's just a guy that, you know, he treated everybody the same. Didn't matter if you're making 8 million, 600,000, play three minutes, play 30 minutes. It didn't matter. He treated you the same. He, he knew what he, he expected. And as you know, it's tough playing for him, but at least you knew exactly what you needed to do um, to be on his good side. Um, you know, I texted him a few times since, since playing from him or for him. Um, by far my favorite coach that I played for. And, and you I, played, I should, say, I should say Sully too, because Sully, him and Sully are pretty much, you know, the same. They coach the same. Um, but like I said, I'd, I'd run, a, run through a wall for those guys. Yeah. And you had had other coaches, obviously, playing in different organizations American Hockey League, National Hockey League. You know, when you talked about how John Tortorella treats everybody the same, no matter what your status is, no matter what kind of a draft pick you were, if you were a draft pick or not, it doesn't matter. Um, have you found any other coach in all the time you played that was that? consistent with that you know coaches and this is not to bad mouth any coaches it's just some coaches try to do it but it never happens like that they don't if, if you're a first liner and you make some mistakes or they say you're gonna sit down you don't sit you, you go out your next shift but if you're a fourth line guy you're definitely sitting if they say you're gonna they're gonna do it torts he didn't care first line guy you're sitting i mean you you saw it he gets a bad rep for it you know in the media and whatnot but I don't know what player wouldn't want to play for that guy. I, I really don't. You know, it's funny when you talk about Mike Sullivan, uh, giving him a lot of credit too. Uh, you know, now that they coach opposing teams normally in the same division, it, it's really funny because, you know, I know how close they are, but to get John Tortorella to say a lot of good things about Mike Sullivan now is like pulling teeth. It certainly is not happening during the regular season. And that's that old, old time hockey mentality, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's just towards his competitive. So is Sully there. He's not going to give anything uh, to another coach or another team. And, you know, I respect it. Ironically, where you wound up in your NHL career to wind it out was in Pittsburgh with the Penguins. How did that whole thing come about? Um, I think, you know, I had a little falling out in Vancouver after Torts left um, and Gillis was, Gillis was fired, Torts was fired. Um, so new GM, new coach came in and I just really didn't fit their mold. Um, and so I went home that year, or I went back to the Utica Comets. The next year, I went to a meeting in Pittsburgh with Jim Rutherford, and he asked me what happened, and I told him. And, you know, I went to training camp, and it just worked out. So, you know, Sully had a good uh, say in that for me, and I appreciated that. Got me to, you know, play another two, three years. So, uh, you know, I owe that to Sully, but they gave me a chance, and that, that was a, definitely a fun time in my career as well. You know, you'd said earlier in this talk that you thought you were going to be a goal scorer when you came out of junior. Now that uh, the career's over and uh, you look back on it, are you, are you sorry that it went the way that it did? Are you disappointed you never got to be that goal scorer that you may have been able to be? Um, no, I, you know, I don't regret anything. You know, it's, it's the roles that you get put into. Who knows what would happen if I get in a different role? 
Um, I met a lot of great people. I learned a lot of great things. You know, I can't, I played in the NHL, you know, it's, that was my dream. Uh, it wasn't as long as I wanted to, or as many games, you know, I was healthy scratched a lot, but you know, I got to travel, travel a lot and with some great, great guys. And the reason I ask you that is because when I think about watching you play then, and I look at the game now, I think if you, I think you were a little bit before your time. I, I think if you came along a couple of years later, I, that your skill set, you always had great hands. And, and we always talked about that, you know, how you did have that ability to score goals. But as you said, they wanted you to use your hands to punch somebody in the face instead of score <laughs> goals most of the time. But um, just it, a couple of years later, I, I think maybe there would have been such a much better opportunity for you. What do you think when you watch the game today and you see for the most part, uh, little contact, almost no fighting and, and guys that have the skills like you have now, you know, um, they're few and far between, to be honest with you. Right. I, I'm kind of disappointed in the game. It's I don't watch it a lot. Um, it's not as fun for me. I, I like to see the big, you know, the bruising games, the hitting, you know, the fighting, you know, what happened in the Rangers caps game last night. It, it doesn't happen if, if uh, you know, each team's got a guy it does, the night before it just it wouldn't happen. Tom Wilson's not going to do that to, you know, their star player. Uh, the Rangers didn't have anybody to really do anything to him last night either. I think, who was it, Smith that fought him? That, you know, it's that's great that he stepped up, but didn't deter him to do anything. So it is what it is. It's, um, you know, the game's growing. So, you know, I'll continue to watch, but uh, I like I like the old-time hockey better. So I want to ask you about that whole situation with Tom Wilson especially. I mean, this guy, he's seems like every time he's in the news, it's not f- – for a good reason. But if I was a GM, I'd take this guy on my team right away. I'd ask him if he had any buddies that were just like him and I'd put them on my team too. Right. Uh, and maybe that comes from being with you guys in Syracuse. It probably has something to do with it. But if you look back at the first incident where Buchnevich is down and he's, you know, punching him while he's on the ice again, that used to be pretty commonplace and now it's not. And then when Artemi Panarin jumps on him, you know, my initial thing is to say, well, what did you think was going to happen? Uh, but with that being said, you played the role. You you were the guy that got into those situations. Do the star players deserve a different treatment? Did did Tom Wilson, in your opinion, did did he go a little bit out of bounds on that or not? I mean, this is going to be – I'm going to have – probably get flack for this, but I don't think he did anything wrong. I mean, yeah, he punched him when he's down. That happens 9 million times. If it was anybody else, it wouldn't be in the news. Tom Wilson does it. You know, heads are rolling. You know – a star player goes after him. What is he supposed to do? Take a beating from him? I'm like, that's the green light for me. When I was playing, if he comes after me, I'm giving him a beating. Um, you know, it's, it's tough that he got hurt, but you know, it wasn't a upper body injury. They say it's lower body. So, I mean, it's his own fault, I guess. If his head hits the ice, when he gets whipped down, then we're having a completely different conversation. Right. Tom Wilson probably is not playing another game this year and, and probably beyond that, quite frankly, but it didn't work out that way. Right. No, I, I just, I don't think, I mean, he gave a, a punch to a guy that was on the ground that happens 700 times a year. Um, and then he's wrestling the guy on, on the ice and he, he falls. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I don't think he did anything. It's because it's Tom Wilson that he's getting uh, crucified for it. And you said the Rangers really didn't have anybody to answer even after, you know, the next game comes and there's a line brawl to start the game, which again, I thought was cool because it doesn't happen anymore, but you know, I, I've said this for the last couple of months, and especially looking at the Blue Jacket situation here, you know, the, the, it's a disappointing year. They're not in the playoffs. There's going to be some retooling that goes on here, whatever it is. Um, 
I think the league, I think it's a cyclical league. Um, you know, you had all the toughness. I think it's gone to a lot of skill. Uh, I think it can spin back toward the toughness. And, you know, I think the teams that decide to be bold and try to find the tougher guy, the tough guys that can play, right. the guys in the mold of Tom Wilson, uh, I think you get ahead of the curve if you can start to find those players now because until other teams adjust, a lot of guys will be running scared. Do you agree? I agree. It's a, it does a cycle every couple of years. It's like when, you know, a couple of fighters went from the East to the West, then you saw all these trades happen get all the fighters over to the West or the East, wherever they were. Um, the Bruins, when they won their cups, they were, you know, a big, bad team. And I think it'll go back to that. Um, right now it's a speed game that everyone wants speed, 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 you know, it's tough to play against, but you know, in the playoffs at speed, when you're getting crushed every game for seven straight games, those guys get hurt. They don't have as much speed anymore. And the other thing about it is I think that, um, you know, fair or not in today's culture, you know, people kind of, you know, there's a fight or there's a fight in the middle of a game. I, again, it, the line used to be, uh, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out for crying out loud. That That's the way it was. And I'm not saying it has to go back to four five, six fights a night, but uh, there does need to be that respect factor back in the game at some point. Don't you think? Yeah. It just polices the game. We said this was going to happen. Um, you know, when they took all the fighting out, I knew there'd be these, you know, incidences where injuries are happening to start players because they don't have anything to worry about. It just pleased the game. And I'll go back to one simple thing with the fans. Every time there's a fight, there's nobody sitting down in the stadium. Everybody's standing up. Like you're not getting that at any other time in the game. So the fans enjoy it as much as the media wants to say it's, you know, violent, this and that it pleases the game, keeps it safer in a way. And, you know, I'm all for it, but you know, look at me, I'm on the outside now. So I think my career got cut a little short because of it, but it is what it is. Yeah. But I'll bet you in Philadelphia, even though you weren't dressing for every game, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers fan knew exactly who Tom Sestito was. That's, that is true. They knew Jody as well. It was just, uh, you know, it was a fun place to play. Um, you know, we go out to a bar, everybody knew us and we weren't even playing. That was the best part about it. <laughs> well, Jody's made a career out of it for crying out loud. And Jody, he is one of a kind. I, you got to tell Jody to get me to the alumni uh, alumni game. He's ahead of it. I, my phone number is still the same. Tell him to text me. Will that be um, Will that be your chance to be a, a big power power forward that scores goals in the alumni game? I, I guess I'm going to have to. <laughs> I'm going to have to get on the power play. Who coaches that thing? Hitchcock I, coach? <laughs> I, I have no idea. You know, and it's really kind of disappointing because with this being the 20th anniversary season, I think if it was a non-COVID year, there might have been a lot of fun activities like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, we kind of got robbed of that this year. So, I don't know. You're still going to be able to do it in five years for the 25th anniversary? You're going to be in training here? Yeah, I guess I'm going to have to keep, keep training. If I'm not in a wheelchair, I'll be there. <laughs> Where are you right now? You back at home in Rome, New York? Yes, I am. What are you, what are you doing these days, Tom? Just staying, uh, I got my family, got my kids, making sure, uh, you know, the first couple of years I wasn't around as much. So I'm always being with them and, uh, you know, taking the time. Just So your son family. is five years old, right? My son is five. My daughter's three. So your son's doing a little bit of skating and, uh, you know, do you, you enjoy going to the rink with him? Is it, I know it's a different experience, but is it a rewarding experience? Well, so, I mean, with COVID and everything, the rinks have been closed. He just started skating. A friend of uh, my brother's has this indoor rink that has uh, synthetic ice. We've been going over there a lot. He, he really enjoys it. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's in the making. I guess it's in our blood. 
I'm sorry, I forgot you are in the state of New York. It's a little bit tougher to get out and get to the rink than it is here in Ohio. Yeah, we're um, we're still in lockdown here. Hopefully, yeah, our, uh, hopefully our our governor lightens up a little bit here soon. Well, hopefully everything starts to lighten up uh, very soon. And hey, you mentioned the Utica Comets earlier, and I got to ask you this because, uh, you know, the American Hockey League has teams with great tradition and and Utica was out for a while, as you mentioned. Uh, the Devils, they, a lot of great prospects over the years came through there in New Jersey system, and then Utica didn't have hockey for a while. Vancouver came back in there, but I saw a story here a couple of weeks ago where um, uh, apparently Binghamton, it's an, another small New York town that's got a great hockey history. Binghamton's going to lose their Devils affiliation, and it looks like the Devils might be coming back to Utica once again because the Canucks, no surprise, they would like to get closer to Vancouver, not have to ship guys all the way across the country. What's going on there in Utica with the AHL? Um, So I saw Rob Esch tweeted yesterday about, uh, you know, Vancouver leaving, and I think there was a story not too long ago that he uh, trademarked the um, Utica Devils again or something, so... Rumor has it Binghamton's coming to Utica. I'm really happy for him because um, this town really loves hockey. Um, they pack that place as much as they can. It's just, it's like old time hockey. And then you get to see Syracuse come in and watch Utica. Um, you know, they have some great battles. So it's, it's fun to see. They were supposed to have an outdoor game uh, this last year, right here in Rome on the Air Force Base. But that obviously COVID uh, changed that. Yeah, and I don't know how many people here in Central Ohio realize, uh, again, the rich history of those towns, upstate New York, uh, up into New England, because, you know, now, of course, the Blue Jackets are affiliated with Cleveland. Right. And, um, yeah, I was just talking with Tony Brown does radio in Cleveland, and I was talking with him last week, as a matter of fact, and, you know, when you go to Cleveland, you're still in the Major League City, right? I mean, when you went, when you were in the American Hockey League, uh, in every place that you were, you knew you were in the American Hockey League. You were in Syracuse. Right. Uh, when the affiliation moved to Springfield, Massachusetts, you were there. You mentioned yeah. with Philly, you were in Adirondack. So that's over in Glens Falls, New York. You were in Wilkes-Barre with the Penguins. Uh, there wasn't any question. You you felt like you were pretty far away from the NHL when you were in the American League, didn't you? Oh, yeah. There's uh, no no question about it. I think Syracuse was the biggest city I was in. And that's, you know, it's not a huge city by any means. Uh, so you definitely wanted to get out of some of these cities. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's great people in all these cities. Uh, they great fans. They love their hockey, but you know, growing up when you want to be in the NHL, these are not the cities that you want to um, be in. Yeah. I mean, look at some of the cities that are in the American hockey league. Now, I mean, the Vegas golden Knights buy a franchise, they put it in Henderson, Nevada, which is not that far from Vegas. Right. I mean, you know, I don't think you feel like you're that far away from the NHL when you're there. Right. And that can be, you know, that can be a bad thing too, because you can, you can just get comfortable. Obviously your paychecks aren't going to be the same, but you can be comfortable being in a big city. You don't want to get out this and that, but um, yeah, there's, I mean, even Charlotte, that was a newer one. That's a beautiful city. Uh, San Diego, Texas cities, you know, I was in, you know, Springfield, Syracuse, Utica. I don't think the sun ever shined in any of those cities. And even if you would have gotten sent down in Vancouver, you'd have been, you'd have been to Utica anyway, right? Or you did, right? So you yeah, were, I was there. Yeah, I was yeah. there. Yeah, so you you should have went to the Western Conference, Tommy. I know. I just, that's my agent's fault. I'll, uh, I'll phone him after this and tell him he owes me some beers or something. Maybe it was just meant to be. Maybe yeah. those are the blue-collar towns that Tom Sestito was meant yeah. to be a part of in his life. Yeah, they, the fans loved me in those towns, except for when I went back. I don't know why nobody liked me when I went back to their city. <laughs> I always got booed for some reason. 
Really? It was yeah, in Syracuse. I never got it. I got booed every time I went back to Syracuse. I think it was just because I was beating somebody up or getting beat up, one of the two. <laughs> did that surprise you at first? No, it, it did. I thought I was going to get like maybe a standing O in Syracuse for all the suspensions and fines I paid. You know, I thought I was going to be well liked, but I got I got the boo birds. Underappreciated Tom Sestito. I, I feel your pain, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I'm going to pass that message along to Jody Shelley. Tommy would like to be uh, first line winger and he's a scoring winger and he's not fighting in the alumni game. Yeah. Half wall power play. Not in that <laughs> front. Yeah. One time in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can stand front. Tom, thank you so much. It's great to catch up with you. I really appreciate you taking the time, giving your perspective on uh, what's going on in hockey. And uh, I hope, I hope he gets you out here soon. Uh, come yeah. out here and see a game, spend a little time in Columbus. Will you? I'd love to take it easy. Tell everyone I said hello. Make sure you tell Torts I said hi too. I will do that. Thanks, Tommy. All right. See you, Bobby. I love to catch up with those guys that I haven't seen for so long. And I was here when Tom was playing those games. I was here for 12 of his 13 games in Columbus. I saw him a lot in Syracuse. And we touched upon that team from the 2007-2008 season there. Those guys were nuts. They were crazy. And everybody was afraid of them. You know, they beat the Manitoba Moose in that first round. The second round... They lost. They went the distance and lost in the final game to the Toronto Marlies. It was only years later when I was talking with Paul Bissonette when he was still playing in Arizona for the Coyotes. And he was, I believe at the time he was in Chicago. That would have been the next stop had, had the series against Toronto been won. Chicago would have been the next stop. And he told me flat out, he said, nobody wanted to play against that team. Nobody wanted to play against them. The guys were too tough. Nobody wanted to deal with it. So who knows where that could have gone. It, it, it didn't go all the way to a championship, but it was so many special moments and special memories. And Tom Sestito was a big part of that. And then to come and play in the National Hockey League, not just for the Blue Jackets, but for the Flyers and for the Canucks and for the Penguins. I mean, you heard what he said. He lived his dream. His dream was to play in the National Hockey League, and he was able to accomplish that dream. So I'm glad that he took the time to talk with me and to talk with you today and that we could catch up with Tom Sestito and uh, see what he is doing back there in Rome, New York, in central New York right now. Blue Jackets tonight taking on the Detroit Red Wings. As I said earlier, game time is 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage starts at 6.30, both on the Blue Jackets radio network and on Bally Sports Ohio. It is game one of a back-to-back set with the Detroit Red Wings that will close out the regular season for both teams. So uh, I hope that you will be a part of it somehow, some way, either if you're there or if you're watching or listening or doing both or doing it all. I don't care, whatever it takes. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I know I've enjoyed bringing it to you, and I will enjoy bringing you the game tonight from Nationwide Arena. That's going to do it for this edition of CBJ in 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Until next time, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.